Welcome to Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. Do you sometimes feel alone in life with personal and interpersonal struggles and challenges? We'll show you that you are not alone and that you can learn and thrive from your challenges and thereby live a healthy life. Now, here is your host, Dr. Vadisha Patel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. Today's show embraces a topic that is very much in the news, and especially in Florida, where I currently live. Human trafficking happens all over the globe, and it also happens in our own backyard. It's not limited to sex trafficking, but also trafficking for labor. While there are numerous organizations that are working on improving the outcome for those who have been trafficked, there's one organization in particular that I would like to highlight for today's show, and that is the Catholic Charities Diocese of Venice in Florida. So today I have Philomena Pereira, who is the CEO of the Catholic Charities Diocese of Venice, and Erica Pineros, who's the director of the anti-trafficking program there. Um, so welcome, Philomena and Erica, and thank you so much for joining me on Perspectives today. Thank you for allowing you for us to us. be on board. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you because um, what little I know about it is partially from the news, but um, also it just seems that we don't talk about it enough and we really need to get this topic out there um, and have people understanding what it entails because when I first talked to you Philomena um, when we talked about trafficking what immediately comes to mind is sex trafficking but actually it's much more than that so I'm wondering if you could start us off maybe by talking about what it is um, what trafficking entails beyond just the sex trafficking sure you know as you mentioned there are numerous numbers of people out there who are in the dark about both labor as well as sex trafficking. Um, sex trafficking really revolves around anything that's forced to be performed in commercial sex trade um, industry, anything from exotic dancing clubs, brothels, um, sex, street prostitution. And anyone who is under the age of 18 um, who is involved in commercial sex trafficking is also considered a victim of human trafficking. Now, the difference between that and labor trafficking is really domestic servitude, restaurant okay. workers, hotels, janitorial staff perhaps, um, sweatshops, factories, agricultural, and um, some of the fishing industries as well. And there's been a lot of news about people who have come into this country who are um, unfortunately um, trafficked in terms of labor. And, you know, they work in the farms. They work in um, processing plants. Uh, they're promised a whole slew of things. Um, they're signed a contract, and when they get here, unfortunately, it's very difficult for them because there's a, a number of things that are taken away from them in terms of their rights. Can you talk a little bit about about that in terms of what's taken away from them? Because the, what you've described is um, just, a, I would imagine, is a vast number of the immigrant population that comes to the U.S. Well, um, yes. I, you know, the things that they, they don't have, they, their paperwork is taken away from them. They're um, generally not paid or paid very little. And um, it, they've got excessively long hours um, that they work, um, and unusual hours as well. Um, sometimes they're not allowed their breaks or, you know, they have some unusual restrictions. It's all about recruitment of these individuals and false promises that are made to them. Uh, they may also live on, live and work on site. Um, they may be abuses in terms of verbal as well as physical abuse. Um, and they may not be paid directly. They may be paid through a broker that is overseeing um, it, them altogether. And again, in terms of housing, too, there's uh, various limitations. It's really all about power and control. And I think Erica can help with really describing some of the incidences or some of the clients that she sees on an ongoing basis. Sure, that would be wonderful. And um, perhaps, uh, Erica, you could, before you talk a little bit about that, perhaps you could talk a little bit about what you are able to provide at Catholic Charities um, sure. for 
for the victims? Okay, so with Catholic Charities, we we actually are able to help in a very large scale, um, specifically with the intensive case management piece. And what that means is basically um, receiving a, you know, helping a client with medical services, legal services, mental health services, housing services. Um, you know, if they need um, advocacy with law enforcement, um, education. There's a whole wide variety of things that we do for them in order for them to uh, reach self-sufficiency. So our program is really based on just giving them the sources that they need in order to become self-sufficient. Sounds like a very comprehensive program. Um, in, in terms of numbers, um, mm-hmm. do you have a? Can you give us a sense of what it's like? How many people you work with, and well, it, you know, at a given time, it it, it, it varies. Um, but I can tell you, as of last week, um, we are servicing currently active clients forty nine. Okay. And mm-hmm. how does it compare? I was reading something about, um, I actually thought that human trafficking was most prevalent in Florida, but actually Florida is third in the United States, I believe. Is it California that has? Yeah. So it's California and then Texas and then Florida. Okay. Okay. Can you share with us um, a little bit about how how you come to find out about people, because I imagine this is, you know, if somebody is being trafficked, as Philomena said, we're talking about power and control. When you're in that Mm -hmm. abusive relationship, it's really hard to get out from under it. So how do people come to you? Okay. So in a very, a wide variety of ways, um, we can get referrals from the national hotline. We can get referrals from law enforcement, community partners, or even self-referrals. And I've had even clients who we're servicing telling other victims that they know of about our services. So it really just depends. And do you have the hotline number for any of our listeners that might want to, might want to have sure. it for their information? Yes. So the hotline number the national one. Okay, so that's an important number for people to remember. Um, I'd I'd like to talk a little bit about this power and control because that um, speaks to the mental health issues and the mental health Mm -hmm. concerns of these individuals. Um, Can you share some of your experience with some of your cases, obviously, you know, without revealing any specific details, but in general? Sure. So, I think that in a lot of movies, um, they portray um, human trafficking when someone just snatches them off the street. Um, as you'd be seeing the movie, um, um, it's taken. And yes, it could happen that way, but most cases... Um, the trafficker actually goes through the whole recruitment process and they do something that's called grooming. So they're grooming the victims, which means that they take their time getting to know what the void is. For example, they are going to look for someone who's vulnerable, someone who is in need of love, attention, or someone that doesn't have a place to stay, someone who has uh, problems with addiction, right? So now they know what the vulnerability is. And the trafficker starts filling that void, okay? So most of the times it's in a romantic way. So he'll start, you know, taking her out on dates, getting her nails done, getting her hair done, um, taking her out and, you know, showing so much love and affection. And weeks later, you know, he'll ask her, hey, can you go on this date? And she might say, like, are you kidding me? Like, no, like, that's not what we're this about. And then he's like, well, you love me, right? Well, there's everything I've done for you. You know, I've, you know, I've provided shelter for you. I've given you food. So he starts mentioning all these things, right? And at this point, there's all, there's something, there's an emotional, there's a trauma bond already, right? So there's an emotional bond with this person. And at that point, um, he starts exploiting her. Right. Okay. So then that's when the, in this case, maybe it might be sex trafficking, uh, maybe again. 
the I, I think that's something that I really want people to remember is that there there's something that um, to look for for human trafficking is the forced fraud or coercion piece piece of it. Was someone forced into doing something that they didn't want to do by using okay. physical force? Was it fraud? Did they have? Did they sign up a contract to become a model or a job, and then all of a sudden it's nothing what was promised? Or the coercion, which is what kind of what we're talking about, the manip- the psychological manipulation uh, that goes on, that it's like the um, the grooming phase, and then saying like, "Hey, um, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill your family. If you don't do this, I'm going to call law enforcement uh, so they can contact ICE." So you can be deported. So they use a lot of like threatening factors and they use a lot of fear factors in order to intimidate the victim. So this sounds like it would take a long time. So it's not um, somebody who gets pulled into this. It's not, as you said, somebody being snatched off the street and taken away from their family. Um, this could go on for months before anything appeared. <laughs> to- well. Yeah, so it, it could happen that they get snatched, but most likely it's going to be that kind of the Romeo pimp that romanticizes them. And the turnaround is actually pretty quick. It actually, um, I think it was like we're looking at two weeks, two to three weeks that it takes them to get close to the individual. Again, the individual that they're approaching is someone who's vulnerable, who has a low self-esteem, who, you know, can be easily impressed. Okay, so that's um, that's another concern. So I'm thinking, you know, if we talk locally in Florida, where where we mm-hmm. all live at the moment, um, I think of all these young girls that I know that are friends of my children, and so it makes you wonder um, when they're out with friends and doing things. You know, how do they know what to look for? I mean, well, I think I, you brought really good point because kind of following back is a lot of people think that because people are getting snapped, that's what human trafficking is. They're not really um, telling their daughters or sons like, hey, like this is really the reality. It's, it may be someone that one, you met online, social media, someone that is in your Instagram, someone who's in your Snapchat, someone who's whatever it is, you know, um, and especially like our, our adolescents, they're using a lot of social media and traffickers have access to that and they start communicating with them in that format. Some of the things that they can look for um, is, well, where, you know, how did this person start contacting this individual, okay? Um, is, the, is the individual, what is he asking her to do? Um, does, he act, does this person actually know who she's speaking with? Um, a lot of the times they think that they're talking to another person their age, and that's not the case. When we're talking about identifying a, a victim of human trafficking, there's a lot of uh, potential factors, and it honestly varies between child victims and adult victims, and it's so different um, across individuals. So, again, what we look for, and the three main things, is force, fraud, or coercion. But if you're looking at physical stuff, I mean, we may look, be looking at physical symptoms, you know, someone who, is, who has bruises, someone who you can tell they've been, you know, using, you know, heroin, someone who is, who has cuts, who has burn marks, um, maybe branding, which is the tattoos that say, like, daddy's girl, um, some emotional kind of red flags is a lot of them are very fearful. They avoid the eye contact. Um, they're easily scared away. They might not be wanting to um, talk easily to someone. They might um, appear uh, anxious, um, a lot of PTSD symptoms. So those um, symptoms that you're talking about, especially the emotional symptoms, mm-hmm. could be yeah. a whole host of other mental health issues as well. Um, mm-hmm. So as, as a, perhaps as a parent who's listening, um, are there mm-hmm. ways that they can discern? For the psychological piece? Yes, for the psychological piece. Yeah. You know, so for when I, the three main things that I've seen with my um, clients has been post-traumatic stress disorder okay, okay. and depression and anxiety. Okay. So someone who is coming in, um, you know, we've, and there has been cases where, uh, you know, I'll tell you a case that there, it was a public case, um, and there was a, a student who goes out to a party, 
and she was with, you know, her classmates. Um, she was talking to this guy. This guy takes her up in a room. Um, you know, they start kissing, they start doing stuff. All of a sudden, his friends join, and they gang raped her, and they took pictures. Um, she, obviously, she was scared. She was crying. She leaves. She goes home. The next day, the guy that she was talking to texts her. He's like, hey, I need you to start sneaking out of your house every night because I need you to do some dates for me. And, you know, she was like, no, absolutely not. He's like, oh, no. He's like, well, I have these pictures, and I will show our other, our other friends, and I will show your parents. Wow. This adolescent so- was so scared. That right. she was like, she was sneaking out in the middle of the night and she was living at home. So, Erica, and I'm going some- to stop you right there. Sorry to interrupt you in the middle of such a deep story, but we have to go to a quick commercial break. So, please stay tuned, okay. everybody. We are talking to the CEO and, and Anti-Human Trafficking Program Director of Catholic Charities of Venice, the Diocese in Florida. Um, if you have questions, you can email me, Dr. Vidisha Patel at drvforkids at yahoo.com, and we will be right yeah. back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis? Hypnosis can set you on your way to better health can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for Hypnosis Everywhere, Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions. Hypnosis Everywhere, the Simpson Protocol, airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number four, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. Welcome back to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel, and I'm in conversation with Philomena Pereira and Erica Pineros, who work at the Catholic Charities of Venice, the diocese there. Um, And we're talking about this tragic situation of human trafficking. So just before the break, Erica, I had to um, interrupt, and I'm really sorry, but you were telling us a story about a young woman who had been gang raped and then one of the perpetrators, if I'm correct, was contacting her. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could continue with your story. Sure. So, yeah, so he started contacting her and asked her to sneak out of the house and to go on some dates. Dates meaning um, sex trafficking. Okay, so um, mm-hmm. he was selling her. And she was going to school. She was living at home. And she was doing that because he had threatened her. So he used coercion to manipulate the situation um, and telling her that, hey, you don't do this, 
I'm going to show the pictures to your parents. I'm going to show you the pictures to their peers. Um, a lot of people ask, well, you know, why wouldn't she just say something? You know, it's, it's a lot worse what she was doing. And we got to think that this is an adolescence, okay? Developmentally, where they are at, it's all about what their peers think, okay? So it, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't that rational decision. Um, and then, you know, that that is kind of how everything happened because a lot of, think, a lot of people believe that someone who's being trafficked it's, it's, it's so far and removed from us or it happens in another country and it's happening in our own backyard in our own state. Um, so it's very important to, to know that it might be, you know, unfortunately it can be a neighbor um, that is doing this. So this young man was also in school with her? So he, we're not talking about an older man? Correct. It's a peer. Mm-hmm. And, and how did she finally get out of it or get help or um, mm-hmm. or did she? She did. So this became okay. a, a case and, you know, law enforcement got involved and, you know, was able to, you know, intervene. Um, but, and then she was also offered the resources that she needed. But, it, you know, it's important to note that, you know, this is someone that nobody saw anything was going on because she was at home with her family and at school. She was showing up every day. You know, the age group 11 to 14 are the most vulnerable population for human trafficking, especially our um, runaway youth. Okay. That's very scary because when I think about 11 to 14, that's middle school. And typically middle schools have rules about leaving campus um, during the day and absenteeism is usually hopefully monitored so it it, what you're suggesting is actually quite frightening um i'd like to take a step sideways maybe and bring philomena into the conversation if philomena from your perspective as the ceo of uh, this larger program um can you talk a little bit about just the whole industry of this human trafficking and the prevalence Well, as you know, we've mentioned um, throughout the conversation um, uh, today, human trafficking is a is really modern day slavery, and it involves, as Erica mentioned, force, fraud, and coercion um, to to really obtain some type of labor or commercial sex act. It is unfortunately the second largest criminal industry after drug trafficking. And believe wow. it or not, it is a hundred and fifty billion, not million, billion dollar industry. And according to Polaris, which is the Florida um, uh, the hotline, Florida ranks at number three in the country, and it's the highest prevalence of human trafficking, which is really alarming for all of us that live um, within our area. And it just so happens also that. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was noted that we have the one of the highest human um, trafficking uh, rates um, ever uh, within the country. So, you know, as we take a look at this, we need to take a look at a variety of different things within our system where you look at forced to care. That's, mm-hmm. Those are the kids who are most vulnerable, as um, Erica mentioned in the beginning. Um, we really do need to be much more involved in the lives of our children. Um, You know, as Erica mentioned with that one example of a young lady in college who was functioning as if there was really nothing wrong, but it was, you know, it's the fear of embarrassment. It's the fear of um, what her parents may or may not think. It was not her fault, um, you know, but it was definitely construed as such, and it becomes a very big it, it creates a much bigger fear factor for all of them to be able to, uh, and embarrassment actually more so than anything else. Right. So do you think that means that parents need to be talking more about this with their children or, or um, because, and, or, and what do we do in the foster care system? Because um, that's a tough one because there sometimes there are multiple children in the home that are of a similar age if somebody is bringing in foster children. Yeah, it is. You know, I think everyone that Erica mentioned in terms of who needs to be involved, 
you know, when I talk to my neighbors and friends, they really believe that it doesn't happen in their neighborhoods. Well, it's not something that happens only in low-income neighborhoods. Obviously, you know, as we all know, Harvey Weinstein was just really um, out there, and he wasn't in a poor neighborhood, right? So it is really targeting not only those... um, We need to change our mindset in terms of what human trafficking really involves. Um, You know, we used to teach kids about um, uh, stranger danger. Well, it happens anywhere and everywhere, and I think it's kind of a scary thing for all of us because we don't want to micromanage our kids or have them so fearful, and yet we need to be able to, like everything else, educate Right. So that's that's actually a very interesting point because yes, there is there is this balance between educating our young population but not making them so fearful that they're not able to live their lives. Um and what I've also heard mostly in the conversation so far is that it's often a male who is trafficking a female. But that's not necessarily the case, correct? I mean, males can also get trafficked. Is that right? Oh, most definitely. You know, um, one would think that a couple of studies that have been out there note that half of the sex trafficking victims um, and survivors are male. And when you take advocates believe that the percentage may be even higher um, than that uh, because of the fact that you've got the LBGTQ community um, the boys and young men are seen as particularly vulnerable where trafficking is concerned. Okay. And is it different in terms of how we handle the males versus the females when we are trying to um, figure out who it is that's being trafficked? I mean, are there different signs or is it pretty similar in terms of how we might be able to tell? I don't know if Erica has some thoughts on that one. Um, Well, I think that as an individual basis, I think that there's a lot of different ways that we can, or things to look for um, when someone's being trafficked. But there is also, um, whether they're a foreign national or a domestic client, that's going to be different. Whether they're a minor, whether they're an adult, that's going to be different. Whether they're a male or a female, that's going to be different. Whether it's a labor trafficking versus sex trafficking, that's going to be different. So, yes, there, it's going to be very different are the things that we're going to look for, um, which is why I resort back to the forced fraud and coercion because in any situation, we really look at that. Was anybody forced to do something? Was anybody with their fraud involved or their coerced to do something? And that's what really um, means uh, to be trafficked. Um, just to point out, you know, I, I know that sometimes we also use, you know, uh, the trafficker as a he, but I also want to mention that, you know, traffickers can be female as well. I've had numerous of cases where the trafficker has been a female, and and it and it it's become a real big problem because they have access to domestic violence shelters, so they go out there and they recruit clients by pretending to be a victim. So, you know, we can't have a bias of what a victim looks like or what a trafficker looks like because it really can be anyone. Right. Can you share any information about um, a client you may have worked with or a, a trafficker that you know that was a female versus a male? A, a trafficker? Yes. A trafficker. Okay. Like, how would it yeah, be so different? Like I was, so, the, the trafficker, so usually um, what I've seen... Um, I've seen female traffickers in the labor industry, um, and it's usually like a family member, okay? It could be an aunt that brings, like, their niece over, and um, they have, they're like, oh, I'm going to bring you back in front of the United States to do this, and they end up trafficking them, whether it's sex or labor, okay? I've seen um, traffickers that are female that are in the sex industry, um, and they might be, you know... Um, you know, former prostitutes and now decided to make a business out of this and now starting getting some of the girls. Um, so that starts that way. So there's a, a quite variety of ways that, um, of different types of traffickers. I mean, there has even been, um, I, I think in Miami there was a, um, a social worker who was trafficking clients out of his caseload. So really, you know, there, it's, there's no such thing of what a trafficker looks like or even a victim. 
Okay, so it's it's really something that we all it sounds like we have to something that we have to be vigilant about. It's something that we need to just be very aware um, so that we can be there um, not just for our own families, but also for neighbors, for other people in the community, I suppose. Um, how how does it look different for the labor trafficking? Is it in terms of in Florida, for example, do we have more of the sex trafficking or do we have more of the labor trafficking? That changes. I mean, if you look at Polaris, I think they have more sex trafficking calls. However, um, it just depends where we're located. We're in Southwest Florida. When I first started years ago, I had a big case that was a labor trafficking case. So at that point, my caseload were mainly foreign labor trafficking victims. My current caseload, it's more of domestic sex trafficking victims, which is the complete opposite. So it honestly just depends that it changes um, within months and years. It's just the trends just change. Okay. And um, Philomena, there was a story that you had shared with me about a young child, I believe. Um, I was wondering if you would share that with the listeners, if you remember which story we were talking about. I believe it was in a neighborhood. You know, it was a, um, at the time, uh, the child was eight years old. Uh, She lived with her parents, both who were working. The you know, the sister was supposed to kind of, the adult sister was supposed to take care of her. Um, during the course of the summer, another young child um, from the, within the neighborhood um, came to her and just befriended her. Next thing you know, um, you know, she is invited to this particular home and things just go um, totally different than anything she had imagined. Now, mind you, she's 10 years old. And um, she saw this friend being raped. And then the perpetrator looked at her and said, you know, um, you're going to be next. And um, throughout the whole of the, the, uh, the time frame, it was that her parents were going to get hurt if she ever told anyone. Um, they actually went into the shed um, that her parents owned and took some tools out of there and showed her what they were and said that they were going to then end up um, hurting her um, or hurting her family using those particular tools. And she was there very automated. It becomes rather automated. It's just, you know, regardless of being able to tell others, there is really, there was this fear within her. And um, this was someone who, you know, uh, goes out and does public speaking now, but she noted that um, much later in life, um, it, it, the trafficking took place for about um, 18, mo- 18, yeah, 18 months, and then from that time frame, she just went on about life. And when she had her child, and that particular child was um, eight years old, uh, Unfortunately, when we talk about PTSD, it all erupted for her, and uh, she had to really get into counseling, and now she does some speaking engagements out there um, about her, her scenario. But even after uh, you know, the, the traffickers left that particular home, she kept going back after school, and this happened literally after school for her. So, you know, wow. you just never know. It, it does happen within neighborhoods. Um, one of the stats that I find alarming is that 70% of the identified minors of trafficking have been through the child welfare system, as I mentioned, in forced care. And also, there are like 40,000 runaways, uh, teenage runaways out there. So, you know, when well, Erica talks about the fact that it's vulnerable, people are vulnerable, and that's how they get into this, uh, right. It's because of the fact that um, there are so many uh, children out there. Take a look at the unaccompanied um, children. You'll find that out there as well. Right. So, Philomena, I, I want to come back and talk about this point. We're going to head for one more short commercial break, so don't sure. go away. We'll be right back to talk some more about what we can do to help as regards human trafficking and understand a little bit more about it. So we will be right back to Perspectives.
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number 4, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. Welcome back to the last segment of our show today. You're listening to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. Please get in touch with me via email at drvforkids at yahoo.com with any questions or comments. Today's topic about human trafficking I know is quite um, a hot topic, so I would love to hear from you. I'm here with Philomena Pereira, who's the CEO of Catholic Charities of Venice, Florida, and Erica Pineros, who is the Anti-Human Trafficking Program Director there as well. So, Philomena, you were just, um, I had to interrupt you, I'm sorry for the commercial break, but um, you were talking about a lot of these, uh, about this one particular instance where this trafficking happened within a neighborhood where a young child befriended another young child. Um, So it seems as if nobody's really immune from perhaps being solicited, especially as our children go. Um, And you were mentioning some statistics. I was hoping you would re-mention them because I don't know if our listeners were able to catch it as we were going to commercial. Sure. The FBI actually estimates that 70% of identified minor victims of trafficking have been through the child welfare system, especially foster care. So that's one really important thing. I think we've mentioned this before within the In addition to that, uh, there are many, as many as 40,000 teenage runaways. Into the National Incident Studies of Missing and Abducted Runaways and Throwaway Children, um, there's a, you know, they're approached by sex traffickers within the first 48 hours. So, you know, it's a business. It's no different than anything else. And I think one of the things to really think about when we talked about the fact that it's the second largest criminal industry after drug trafficking is that with drug trafficking, you have to go and get a supply of drugs in order to be able to sell them. With human trafficking, you have one person. You can actually use them over and over and over again in a given time frame. And as long as they're walking and talking and living, you should be fine. You know, they, they can be used. Um, one of the stories Erica shared with me a while back was, again, going back to the Romeo effect, um, having someone come in. And you just have to kind of close your eyes and imagine this. You know, you believe that you have just utterly fallen in love and you have your knight in shining armor 
You then um, find this particular person who is now, you know, using you. Now you're locked up in a room. You are fed every other day a bowl of mac and cheese. It's really, I mean, you have absolutely no control on anything. You have no control on getting food, water, um, when you sleep, when you wake up. Somebody controls every piece of you. And you really do believe that person as they kind of tell you um, that it's really your fault that you're in the situation or it goes really, it goes back to power and control, unfortunately. Well, and so I guess what I'm also wondering, I'm curious as it relates to the story that you told before the break, was that those traffickers left the home and the girl continued to go to the house. So... This, it's not as if the traffickers are using these girls for the rest of their lives. Um, they are using them for short periods of time. And then that trauma, so which goes to my next point, was that it's interesting how the, tra- the, the young girl went carried on with her life after the traffickers left. But it came back to her when her own child was the age that she was trafficked. Um, Correct. Is is that what typically happens? Is that traffickers if will just use the individual until for a few years and then then move on? Um, Not necessarily. I think in this particular place, and I can only talk about this particular um, incident. It was because of the fact that um, there was, you know, law enforcement was moving in, and as a result, um, when you see that there are cars coming into this driveway every hour on the hour, and it's a different vehicle um, all the time, well, then, you know, neighbors can get suspicious. And just to make law enforcement uh, aware of the situation, then, you know, as a trafficker, you don't want to stay there and wait for the police to come and discover. So they move. They move all the time. It doesn't, and trafficking doesn't necessarily have to be in one place, but it could be really anywhere. It could be a hotel, it could be a home, it could be really uh, a car. So at least in terms of sex trafficking. And, you know, human trafficking, it's just really, I mean, sorry, um, labor trafficking is a little different in the sense that it's, um, the coercion really has to do with money, with your paperwork, the fact that you don't have documentation. And what I'd like to do is ask Erica to share with you the, you know, what happens when they come to us about the visas and about how law enforcement um, comes in. And then what we do as an agency in terms of the basic human needs where we need to pretty much reprogram an individual who's, you know, who has been through this utterly unheard of experience. Terrific. That would be wonderful. So with labor trafficking clients, a lot of them fear law enforcement. A lot of them fear going back to their home country. Um, and when I, when, if I have access to them, you know, our, our program, they absolutely do not have to collaborate with law enforcement. So I have clients that say, I don't want to collaborate with law enforcement. I just want the social service piece. And they're more than welcome to that. Um, you know, we are not going to force someone um, to tell their story to law enforcement or anything like that. Um, however, we do educate them. We educate them of what can happen if they, you know, disclose their information to law enforcement, uh, whether it's um, access to a trafficking visa, such as a T visa, or a crime visa, which is a U visa, or even a continued presence. So those are the things that the client is educated on because if if they're, they're fearful about going to their home country, well, there is some immigration relief since they were a victim of a crime or a victim of human trafficking. So we work very closely with law enforcement and the attorney to try to get this client immigration relief. During that how time, su- though... Uh, how successful are it, you at being able to do that? So it depends, right? So it, it takes a long time. You know, um, let's say we successfully fill out the application and everything goes out, it, you know, the, um, for a T visa, it's taking about two years now um, for them to be granted a T visa. And for the U visa, there's like a four to five year window, um, which causes, you know, a lot of uncertainty during those uh, years. Because now in our program, we have this client that has no paperwork, that can't work, that can't do anything to really become self-sufficient. 
So we are constantly playing with the system. It's like, well, they are victims of a crime. They have PTSD. They have all this stuff. But then they can't access certain resources because they don't have documentation. So our agency, you know, what we do is really kind of assess the situation and making sure that their needs are being met even though they have such external barriers, such as the documentation piece. Um, you know, since we um, work with minors, adults, sex, labor trafficking, you know, we see a little bit of everything. So I can't say that there's a specific technique, um, but there, because everybody's, uh, everybody's that comes into the program, they're in a different phase. Some okay. people come in and that were trafficked 20 years ago, and they're just now talking about it. There's people that, you know, literally they just got out of a situation the night before. So, obviously, the interventions are going to be very different. Right. So, the question that I'm sure everybody has is how this is obviously a big problem. It's everywhere. How do we break this cycle? What what do we do as a community? What can we do as a community? As a community, I think number one is being aware you know, uh, stop, you know, thinking that it doesn't happen here. Get rid of that bias and just accept that it is happening here. It happens in our own backyard. That way we can be more alert and really um, look at the, the, what, the, the key factors of what makes a trafficking uh, situation and being able to identify. And if our intuition is telling us, no, there's something wrong, let's not do the bystander effect. Let's actually report it. Let's do something about it. Let's be a community of action. And where where does one report it? Is it to law enforcement? Yeah, so I would say if they, if they know that a client, that someone is in danger, please call law enforcement. You know, um, nobody has to be, you know, it's like don't, you know, I tell them, don't call me, call law enforcement. I can't save them, you know. Um, but if they see someone that is maybe not in, in immediate danger, but maybe they have questions, then call a hotline. What the hotline does is they can call law enforcement. Um, they can call social service provider within that area. So all you really need to know is that 1-800 number because once you get in touch with that 1-800 number, it's the hotline's responsibility to, you know, get the right services for this um, victim. So can you tell us that hotline number once again, please? Sure. Yeah, so the National um, Human Trafficking Resource Center number is one eight 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 three seven three seven eight eight eight. Okay, so that's a number for everyone to remember. And when we talk about the mental health piece and the well-being of the, uh, the children and our future, what do you recommend as for as parents? What would you recommend for parents to be on the lookout for and how to raise their children so that they can be resilient and protected. So I think that, that, you know, one of the things that our society thinks about is that stranger danger, right? And we teach our, our, you know, children, don't talk to strangers, don't do this, don't do that. However, we don't train them also that, hey, it, it goes way more than that. You know, unfortunately, you know, the way things are nowadays, it's like we have to prepare them for, you know, possible dangers, even with people they know, okay? That's number one. It's really having an open conversation with, you know, the adolescents um, and informing them, you know, giving them information that they need. Also, as a parent, you know, is, well, look at it from, you know, if, if this, if what is it that makes a specific person vulnerable to being trafficked? which is having a low self-esteem, having a need for love and affection. So as a parent, you know, you should be able to provide, fill those needs for a child instead of, you know, leaving it up to a trafficker to one day come and fill those needs. So I think that if we move forward as, you know, society to really kind of fill those voids that the child may be um, needing, um, having open communication, that is really going to help. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, that's in, in my practice, that's the parenting advice that um, I often work with. It's that relationship building. It's the mm-hmm. connection between the parent and the child yeah. and the importance of that and the open communication. Um, you also, you mm-hmm. mentioned adolescence, but really how young should we as parents be, be talk? Well, how young should our children be when we start talking to them about this topic? Well, I mean, the the... the 
the age range that's most vulnerable is 11 to 14. So it's very unfortunate because 11 is a, it's a very young age. But, you know, unfortunately, this is what the statistics are showing. Um, so, you know, the way I see it is, you know, I'd rather have a parent have this conversation than having a child find out the hard way. Right, right. So that's, um, and does, does your organization have um, resources on your website or um, books or articles that, that might help parents uh, be able to talk to their children about this? We have about a minute left, so I just wanted to make sure that any resources you could share, um, perhaps your website and what other things you do. One yeah, of the things so you can do is, um, Erica can come out and do presentations. So that's really when we're talking about um, educating the community at large. So if you've got some place where we can do that, that would be great. The other piece that I wanted to just is that, you know, um, one of the things we look for is donations in terms of just being able to um, house uh, the victims, which is one of the biggest problems we have. And if anybody's interested for information on the topic and to talk to either one of us, um, you can just call 941-488-5581. Again, the number is 941-488-5581. And please look at our website as well, and that's www.catholiccharitiesdioceseofvenice.org. Okay, terrific. And Erica, are there any resources that you would like to add that might be helpful, especially for for parents of young children? I would highly recommend for them to look at, um, there is something called um, Look Beneath the Surface, which is a campaign and which is with Rescue and Restore. And there's also the National Hotline has great information, um, which is Polaris. Okay. So thank you so much for joining us today on Perspectives. I've been talking with Philomena Pereira, the CEO of Catholic Charities of Venice, Florida, and Erica Pineros, the Anti-Human Trafficking Program Director of the same organization. It's been very informative, and I hope our listeners were able to um, take away some good advice about being vigilant and more aware. This is Dr. Vidisha Patel, your host for Perspectives. I look forward to being back with you next week for another edition. So in the meantime, feel free to email me at drvforkids at yahoo.com with any questions or comments that you may have. Have a wonderful week and until next time. Thank you for listening to our program this week. Another edition of Perspectives with Dr. Vidisha Patel can be heard next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until we talk again, have a lovely week.